Venerable Chodron is uh, still traveling about in Europe or Asia or someplace. So you get stuck with me tonight. So we're going to have fun. So enjoy yourself and relax. And I'm going to start by doing motivation. And this too shall pass. Get on with it. Your mind is a powerful thing. When you fill it with positive thoughts, your life will start to change. If you correct your mind, the rest of your life will fall into place. If you truly want to change your life, you must first be willing to change your mind. The world is impermanent. You are impermanent. Everything is impermanent. This is one of the truths of the universe. Everything changes all the time. But we don't always recognize the change. This is one of the foundations of the Buddhist path. It is the only way that life can work. Change happens. Day turns into night, which turns into day, which turns into night again. But not endlessly. Eventually the sun will expand and swallow the earth. And there will be no more day and night for our little planet. All gone. It is the only way that life can work. <laughs> Eventually, all of us will get sick and die. And our body will be no more. All gone. The mind will go on to a different place, but it will have changed. Some people are afraid of change. There's no need for this. Change brings a spring flower after winter. It brings a smile to a face. It brings a high tide and a low tide. It brings a child into the world. Change is happening all around us, all the time. Yet we don't act as if change is happening right before our eyes. We grasp a hold of things and keep them and expect them to always be with us, unchanged, always capable of making us happy. This is a lie. Our mind is the biggest instrument of change in our lives. We are not our anger. We are not our loneliness. We are not our impatience, jealousy, or fear. You don't like what is going on right now? Wait a moment. It will change. 
our minds couldn't change, then how could we become a Buddha? Why would we bother? We would be stuck in samsara forever. We need to use change as a basis of our life. We need to see the potential we and all of the people, all of the beings have to become more than we are now. Better practitioners, better people. We need, to, we need to stop grasping onto things and ideas that can only harm ourselves and others. We need to let the wonder of change lead us to peace and harmony. Protons and neutrons and electrons constantly zipping around each other. Never static, always changing. That's what life is. That's what samsara is. As Buddhists, we practice emptiness. This may be the ultimate change. Knowing this, we can change our mind and our heart and find peace and goodwill. Generosity, patience, joyous effort, ethical conduct. We can find concentration and wisdom. We can become Buddha. If you can't change your mind, then you're not using it. If you never change your mind, why have one? By changing your mind, you change everything. So tonight, we're talking about the seven harmonies of awakening. They're also called the seven aids to awakening, seven wings of awakening, the seven practices of awakening, but they all have the same thing. They are emphasized on the fundamental path. They're also, they're taught extensively in the Pali Can Canon. For the Mahayanas, they're taught on the immediate, intermediate level of the Lam Rim path. Now I know in the last six months, Venerable Children has give, given this teaching at least twice to a lot of the people here. But it is a review, so deal with it. Some people haven't had it. So in the Pali tradition, you start developing these factors right, right at the very beginning of your practice. It's the higher training of wisdom for the fundamental vehicle. But bodhisattvas do these practices also. And His Holiness the Dalai Lama said it was sad that Mahayana practitioners didn't do these practices very often because it would be quite beneficial for them. Venerable Children said that most times people just 
they look at this practice and say, yeah, okay, got it, now I want to go on to Tantra. So they don't take the time to get these settled, and that's sad. So the 37 aids are divided into seven sets. And in the Sanskrit tradition, tradition they are correlated with the five paths. This does not mean that practitioners on either the previous or subsequent paths do not practice them. Rather, the practice of a particular set becomes full-fledged and fully qualified at a certain level of the path. Cultivating the four establishments of mindfulness and reflecting on their specific and common characteristics enables us to understand the four seals that determine a teaching to be the Buddha's doctrine. These are mentioned in the Sanskrit tradition. So all conditioned phenomena are impermanent. All polluted phenomena are unsatisfactory. All phenomena are empty and selfless. And nirvana is true peace. Once we understand these, especially that nirvana is peace, we will want to engage in the practice to attain nirvana. This leads to practicing the four supreme strivings, which are the nature of joyous effort. Through putting forth effort, we develop concentration, which involves the four bases of supernormal powers. If we have not previously attained serenity, we do so now. We then put special attention on the five faculties and five powers to overcome all unfavorable conditions and attain the union of serenity and insight on selflessness. The seven awakening factors and the noble eightfold path are then cultivated to actualize nirvana. So, it says that um, the 37 harmonies are divided into seven sets. No, I just gave you a brief outline, and now we'll go into fur further into depth. The first one is the four establishments of mindfulness. And what are they? Mindfulness of the body. Mindfulness of feelings. Mindfulness of the mind. Mindful phenomena, which we will be doing this winter's retreat. Lucky us. So the four established mindfulness are mental factors of wisdom and mindfulness. The next set is the four supreme strivings. And what are they? Striving to attain, to maintain virtues that have already been cultivated. Striving We put our effort into preventing non-virtue from arising, from to generate new virtues that we haven't generated already, to abandon non-virtues already generated, and to maintain and enhance the virtues that have already arisen in our mind. 
not necessarily in that order. What is the order? I'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> okay, and the four supreme strivings are mental factors of effort. We put a lot of effort into making that happen. Okay, and the next one is the four bases of supernormal powers. And what are they? It's only four of them. Concentration of aspiration, effort, intention, and Yep. Uh, Singapore concentration of aspiration, effort, intention, and investigation. <coughs> and That's a mental factor of concentration, obviously. The okay, next one is the five faculties and the five powers. What are they? Slow down. Say that again. Faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom. Yep. Next are the seven awakening factors. And what are they? Mindfulness. Yep. Mindfulness. Discrimination of phenomena. Discrimination of phenomena. Effort. Effort. Rapture. Rapture. Pliancy. Concentration. Concentration. Equanimity. Yes, indeed. And the last ones. The last set is, excuse me, the last set is the Eightfold Noble Path, and they are? Right view, right, right, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, mindfulness, and right concentration. Yes, indeed. need to start by figuring out why we want to use these aids to awakening. Motivation is the key thing that establishes the value of what we are going to do. For every action, we can have a variety of intentions. So why do we use these 37 aids to awakening? Real simple. Become awakened as soon as possible for the benefit of all ascension beings. Yep, exactly. So what's stopping us? Ignorance. Laziness. The mind and the body. Yep. Five hindrances. All of them. Yep. So we're going to go over these 37 harmonies. Medical children said many of these 37 harmonies are mental factors. So we have to figure out how to work with them in our mind in order to become awakened. So each set, and there are seven of them, bridges to the next set. Using the 37 aids to awakening, we first meditate on the four mindfulnesses in order to see them properly in accordance with reality. Basically, we don't see them as they really are right now. Next, we find ourselves wanting to generate the four supreme strivings so that we can place our efforts squarely on enhancing our virtues 
and getting rid of the destructive afflictions and emotions and to refine serenity and insight. Keeping our goal in mind, once we were able to see the body, feelings, mind, and phenomena for what they really are, and working on attaining more virtue, we desire more powers to help us attain our goal. So we use the four mental factors to attain supernormal powers to aid us in this quest. Aspiration. which leads to the five faculties and the five powers. They're the same, but only one is more powerful than the other, which we will go over. These mental factors enhance our ability to oppose those mental factors that might get in the way of our reaching our goal. That's why we look at them, practice them. Which brings us to the seven awakening factors used by Arya's and us to enhance the path to awakening. If it, since they're used by Aryas, that doesn't mean that we can't use them also, because, I mean, it's called practice after all. That's what we're doing. Which leads to the Eightfold Noble Path, which is a good way to, li to live our lives if we want to become awakened for the benefit of all sentient beings. So you'll notice that some of these factors are repeated in the different sets of the 37. Effort, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom. This emphasizes how important they are to gaining realizations and the many different ways they are used and the many different contexts in which they are practiced. This helps us to have a much broader understanding of what these mental factors are and how they function instead of having just a very narrow function. So we'll start with the four mindfulness, the four establishments of mindfulness. That's where it begins. These are meditations. We do them to examine what the self is. What's going on with this thing called the I? We examine the body, feeling, feelings, mind and phenomena, to see what they actually are, to separate from all the fantasy ideas about them that we have, and to see how they relate to the self. And if our, our idea of who we are has anything to do with reality or not. Meditations are quite powerful when we do them on a consistent basis, because we really begin to understand who we are on a deeper level, and what we are and what we're not. Most of the time, we're not very in touch with ourselves. We, we operate on automatic. So the four establishments of mindfulness help us to counteract three different things. They help us to counteract the four errors in our thinking. They help us to overcome the four distortions. And they correlate with the fourth truths of the Aryas, the four noble truths. So the first one, they help us to counteract the four errors of thinking. And what are these errors? They're not the distortions. They're not the distortions, no. Conceiving our body to be the place where the self resides. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's one. 
Um, have you got the mic? So when we conceiving the mind as to be real self, I think, therefore I am, is what we think. We think we can control our thoughts and emotions, but if we look at it, we really can't. That's the error. Conceiving phenomena, in particular our attitudes, our emotions, our views, as different mental factors. We say to ourselves, I have so many problems with anger and jealousy, or my confidence makes me a good person. Like they are something, there, there's no independent self and the qualities do not make that person good or bad, afflicted or virtuous. They're simply mental factors. They do not make the person virtuous or non-virtuous. So based on the idea of a self that stands alone, we think that there is an I that is in control, created by itself, not dependent on anything else. And the body, feelings, mind, and phenomena are arranged around that self and at the service of that self. We think that they're controlled by that self. The meditations on the four mindfulnesses help us overcome this wrong view. Okay, it also, meditation on the four establishments of mindfulness also help us overcome the four distortions. And what are they? Grasping things that are impermanent to be permanent. Oh, sorry. That's one. Grasping things that are in the nature of dukkha or unsatisfactoriness to be pleasurable. That's two. Grasping that which is foul in nature to be pure. That's three. Grasping that which has no self to have a self. That is correct. <laughs> and the Four Noble Truths? true sufferings, true origins, true cessations, and true paths. Venerable Chodron said that most people do not have a correct understanding of body, feelings, mind, and phenomena. So that's why we do these meditations. Mindfulness of the body. The meditation on the mindfulness of the body. Helps us to look at the error of conceiving our body to be the place where the I, the self, resides. We really look at what this body is made of, where it came from, what its nature is right now, what it becomes after we die. 
Any way we look at the inside of this body, it's not something very pleasant. It's pretty foul. When we meditate deeply on mindfulness of the body, we overcome the distorted conception that the body is pure. We begin to realize that the body is foul and it is quite helpful. And this is quite helpful, especially at the time of the death when we might start to grasp onto this body and not want to leave it. But if we think it's foul, we're going to say, we really don't want another body, do we? So this meditation helps us to release the clinging and not stay with this body. It helps us to understand the truth of dukkha, the first noble truth. The unsatisfactory nature of samsara, so much of which is based on the body. Any questions so far? Okay. Mindfulness of feelings. Looking at the error of conceiving our feelings to be what this in inherently existent I enjoys and experiences. We get quite attached to our feelings. When we meditate on pain, happiness, indifferent feelings, we begin to see that these feelings are limited. We begin to see that these feeling for us limit for us limited feeling, feel, beings who are under the influence of dukkha, of ignorance. All these feelings are unsatisfactory. They are in the nature of dukkha. No matter how we look at samsaric happiness or try to create it, it is always unsatisfactory. It doesn't last. It changes. Imagine that. This meditation helps us to understand the truth of the origin of dukkha, the second noble truth. Because it's in response to pleasant, unpleasant, and indifferent feelings that we generate attachment, aversion, and ignorance, and all the other kinds of virtuous and non-virtuous mental factors that become the source of our dukkha, unsatisfactory experiences. Good, good, good. No, no eyelids closing, please. I just started. Mindfulness of mind. We look at the error of conceiving our mind to be a real self. We think that our consciousness is the real me. Establishing mindfulness of the mind is a meditation on the conventional nature of the mind. By doing that, we free ourselves from the mistaken conception that the mind is permanent. We often see the mind as the basis of de designation of the self. When we pay attention to the mind, it becomes evident that the mind is changing moment by moment. There's nothing permanent to grab onto. This meditation frees us from the wrong conception of things, of, that things are impermanent. Hold on, let's try this one again. This meditation frees us from the wrong conception that things that are impermanent are permanent. It helps us to understand the truth of cessation, third noble truth, because we begin to get a feeling that the mind is impermanent. You can't find the mind anywhere. You can't pinpoint exactly what it is or hold on, on to any moment of it. You begin to realize that dukkha and its origin can be eliminated.
How you doing over there? And the last one is mindfulness of phenomena. This meditation looks at our attitudes and emotions because we conceive that these are what makes the self worthwhile or afflicted. We start we start to become mindful about our various mental states and mental factors, like the five hindrances, the 51 mental factors, which we're not going to go over. It frees us from thinking that any of these is a self. It frees us from the wrong conception, thinking the things that do not have a self have a self. Or the poly version of it is thinking that things that are not the self are the self. They're a little bit they're close, but no cigar. They refer to the fact that the mental factors themselves are empty of inherent existence, and so the I that is designated independent, so is the I that is designated independence upon them. It helps us understand the truth of the path, all the mental factors of what is to be practiced and what is to be abandoned. The ones that are to be practiced are the truth of the path and they overcome the ones that are to be abandoned. And you're going to hear that throughout the teachings. These mental factors help us to figure out what to practice and what to abandon. <clears throat> so those are the four establishments of mindfulness. I didn't really go into them very much because Venerable Children has given lots of teaching on them and we'll be doing it this winter. So I actually worked on the middle ones. Next one is the four supreme strivings. Put, prevent, putting our efforts into preventing non-virtue from arising, generating new virtues that haven't, no, excuse me, abandoning non-virtues already generated by applying antidotes, generating new virtues that we haven't generated already, and maintain and enhance virtues that have already arisen in our mind. So, the four supreme strivings enable us to develop positive qualities and remove afflictions. They help us to put a lot of energy into what to practice and what to abandon in our daily life, as well as in our meditation practice. They show us how to direct the actions of our body, speech, and mind. We don't always link the creation of virtue, wholesome activities with happiness. And yet we need to, because these kinds of activities are the karmic causes of happiness. They bring a lot of peace, to, peace of mind to us in this very lifetime. So the four supreme strivings. We strive to, one, put our effort into preventing non-virtue from arising. That's the afflictions and non-destructive actions. For example, Non-virtue, the afflictions and destructive actions. Oh. For example, by restraining our, we do this by restraining our senses. A good way to abandon non-virtue is not to let your senses wander, wander all around, because as soon as we recognize an object, then we experience either pleasure, pain, or neutral. And the afflictions of attachment, anger, and ignorance arise. 
So restraining our senses is a very good way of preventing non-virtue from arising. So the second one. Any questions so far? Come on, cheer up. You're sitting on that side, not this side. So. You're welcome. <laughs> the second one. We arouse an aspiration and apply effort and strive to abandon non-virtues already generated by applying the antidotes. And there are all these different antidotes that apply to the various afflictions that arise. And we know them. But we, do we take the time to apply the antidotes all the time? And we can say no. I can say no for me. I'm pretty sure for you because you're still sitting here. You're not off in Buddha land, Nirvana someplace. So That's a good way to tell, isn't it? Hopefully. So, the third one. We arouse an aspiration and apply effort to generate new virtues that we haven't generated already. For example, we do the four establishments of mindfulness. We use the seven awakening factors. We meditate on bodhicitta. We keep our precepts. You know, we generate new virtues that we haven't already generated before. We do all the kinds of good stuff. And the last one is that we aspire and have effort to maintain and enhance the virtues that have already arisen in our minds. Especially by sustaining favorable meditation objects to attain full samadhi. So whatever we've meditated on already, we've created virtue if we've meditated on a virtuous object. We're in the process of familiarizing ourselves with it and we want to maintain and enhance it. So those are the four supreme strivings. When we dedicate, we say, may, I, may the precious Bodhi mind not yet born arise and grow. May that born have no decline, but increase forevermore. That's the last two of the four supreme strivings. Generating new virtues and enhancing the ones that have already been created. So, in addition to counteracting laxity and excitement, which are two faults impeding serenity, the four supreme strivings balance and enhance serenity and insight. If one or the other is too strong, then we strive to strengthen the other. If one is too strong, we strive to strengthen. Okay, so we're going to go right along. Or not. Could you repeat that last one? Um, the four supreme strivings balance and enhance serenity and insight. The next is the four bases of the supernormal powers. And these are types of concentration. By practicing these concentrations, practitioners develop the special power to emanate and transform things. This is the first of the superknowledges. Supernormal powers refer to almost magical powers, such as walking on water, going under the earth, making your body very large, emanating many bodies, dissolving many bodies back into the one body. Supernormal things, it's supernormal things that have to do with physical objects. If you're a bodhisattva, 
These things are very useful because they enable you to attend teachings in many different places and to get there quickly. They enable you to connect with disciples. The purpose of generating the powers is not to impress other people, but to use them in your practice so that you can attain awakening quickly, quickly, or quicker, which you prefer. Yes? <laughs> so how do you gain the supernormal powers? By having deep states of samadhi. Since these are concentrations, This is the four bases of the supernormal powers. They're, they're a single-pointed concentration of aspiration, effort, intention, and investigation. Aspiration is a deep desire or wish to gain supernormal powers. It fuels our effort to gain samadhi. Effort. It spurs the cultivation of concentration that leads to the supernormal powers. Like a vicious cycle, you know. One thing leads to another. Intention helps you to calm your mind and make it tranquil. Tranquil, pure, and radiant. And through the resulting clarity of mind, then you gain the concentration that is the basis of the supernormal powers. Investigation examines the mind and the factors that promote and hinder its development. It's fueled by a wish to investigate and realize nirvana. We strive to attain concentration because we see that concentration is essential, essential for attaining nirvana. If you need me to slow down, let me know. Um, examines the mind and the factors that promote and hinder its development. It's fueled by a wish to investigate and realize nirvana. And we strive to attain this concentration because we see that concentration is essential for attaining nirvana. So aspiration, effort, intention, and investigation are the means to refine our concentration in order to develop powerful meditative abilities, which we then combine with wisdom, which leads to liberation. Right? Right. Supernormal powers are gained through the mental developments, specifically deep concentration. Worldly supernormal powers include making manifestations of one body, one's body, flying in space, walking on water, passing through walls or mountains, and going under the earth. However, the highest supernormal power is unpolluted liberation of the mind, nirvana. So another factor that con contributes to concentration is de determined striving, which is common to all four of these concentrations. We make a determination to do them. Determined strive. So, the aspiration, effort, intention, investigation is the. Those are those are those are strives also. Those are 
very, those are specific strivings to that concentration. The determined striving is, is common to all of them. Okay, we're ready to go on. Next one is the five faculties and the five powers. And that's faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. So the five faculties and the five powers have the same names and they are the same qualities. But the five powers are stronger and fuller development than the five faculties. With the five faculties, we are still unable to remedy opposing factors. And those opposing factors are non-faith, laziness, forgetfulness, distraction, and faulty wisdom. In other words, they may still arise while you're doing meditation or just living. When these five qualities are strong enough not to be dislodged by their opposites, they become the five powers. With the five powers, we have mastery over the opposing factors and are able to override, though not yet fully abandon them. Although the five qualities are spoken of individually, in practice, they function harmoniously together. The five faculties and five powers reach fulfillment in nirvana. They are all mental factors and can accompany the same virtuous mental consciousness at the same time, once they are fully developed. And this is, I'm going to go over the Sanskrit condition, um, Sanskrit tradition first. And then after that, I'll do the Pali tradition. So the first one is faith. It's a mental factor that overcomes non-faith. Non-faith is a mind that is full of doubt and wrong conceptions. It doesn't believe anything is anything dharmic. Like it doesn't believe in the four truths. It doesn't believe in yeah, four distortions, stuff like that. It doesn't believe in rebirth. Faith refers to believing faith that has confidence in the path of practice and in the resultant liberation, or for bodhisattvas, full awakening. This faith arises from investigation, so it is naturally combined with wisdom and has conviction in the four truths. Faith arises from understanding. It arises through investigation. It's not blind faith. It is a mind that trusts and has confidence in the teachings due to understanding. It has faith in the teachings and the method too. It has faith in the method that the Buddha taught on how to purify the mind, how to realize the nature of reality. And it has faith that the path will actually lead to Buddhahood. So that's what this mental factor of faith does. It overcomes non-faith.
The next of the faculties and powers is effort. Effort overcomes laziness, interrupting meditation on the four truths, and enables us to quickly realize them. For bodhisattvas, this effort also includes enthusiasm for engaging in the six paramitas. Want me to say anything else? <laughs> Next one is mindfulness. Mindfulness, in this case, ensures that we do not forget the object and aspects of the four truths. So what are the objects and aspects of the four truths? When we look at the truth of dukkha, the object is the contaminated aggregates. And the aspect is seeing them for what they truly are. For the truth of origin, the object is all of the afflictions and karma, and the aspect is seeing, as, seeing them as something to be abandoned. With true cessations, the object is seeing the emptiness of the mind. The aspect is something we want to actualize. In true pass, the object is all the virtuous mental factors, especially the wisdom realizing selflessness. And the aspect is something to be realized. And for bodhisattvas, this mindfulness is conjoined with bodhicitta seeking others' welfare. So the next mental factor of the four, five faculties and five powers is concentration. <coughs> concentration eliminates the five faults preventing perfect concentration on the four truths and focusing single-pointedly on the four truths. So what are the five faults? Five faults to concentration. Uh, I'm not sure. Excitement and that list? Yeah, that list. So laziness? Forgetting the object of meditation, excitement and laziness, and laxity, excuse me, laxity, not applying the antidotes, and over-applying the antidotes. It also realizes the emptiness of true existence of all phenomena. That's what concentration does when developed by the five powers. Yeah, power. Are the five faults the five hindrances? Or? Nope. Five hindrances are something different. Mm -hmm. So the last of the uh, five faculties and powers is wisdom. And it's wisdom that overcomes the wrong conception of the four truths. It individually discriminates and knows the objects of the four truths, which we went over. Also, the 16 aspects of the four truths, as well as their ultimate motives of existence. Bodhisattvas cultivate wisdom, realizing all aspects of all phenomena. 
they know a lot. So the five faculties and five powers are used during your entire path to Buddhahood. They, be, they become stronger. And you use them to support your realizations of emptiness and to accumulate merit. That's why they're called aids to awakening. Now the Pali tradition also has these five faculties and five powers and they are close to what the Sanskrit tradition is, but maybe just a little bit different. No, that was the Sanskrit. This is the Pali. The Pali tradition, faith, has trust and confidence in the three jewels, especially in the Buddha's awakening and the Dharma teaches, teachings as the path leading to it. It directs us to the path and keeps us on it even when we go through bouts of questioning. Power of this kind of faith cannot be overcome by doubt, skepticism, and belief. It looks like the difference is the Sanskrit concentrated almost exclusively on the four noble truths, whereas this is just kind of general. And it would make sense because the Pali, in the Pali tradition, the fundamental tradition, they start right at the very beginning, whereas the Four Noble Truths are taught in the intermediate level, which is where this is taught. Yeah, but that's the whole object of their practice. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, effort is an energetic mind. It combats laziness, heedlessness, and unconscientiousness and facilitates the practice of the Four Supreme Strivings. The power of effort is not affected by laziness, procrastination, and discouragement. It works against laziness that wants to indulge in sleep. It counteracts procrastination, which keeps us very busy in all numerous distractions. It counteracts being discouraged. We don't want to do anything. We don't try. It's easier to, get up, to give up than to try. Keep trying. Laziness, procrastination, and discouragement prevent us from putting energy into our spiritual practice. And effort counteracts that. Mindfulness keeps us aware and cognizant of what we are doing and what we are to practice and abandon in daily life. And also in meditation. It remembers the object of meditation and keeps the mind focused on it. It combats forgetfulness, oblivion, and wandering. And the power of mindfulness cannot be harmed by these obstacles. It helps overcome forgetfulness. Keeps, helps keeps our mind on the object of meditation. Concentration keeps our mind focused one-pointedly on its chosen object and thus prevents distraction and helps us to overcome the five hindrances, which are Which are? Um, no. Oh, the five. This is the other. These are the five hindrances. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, no excitement. excitement. No, no, no. A, a sensual, sensual desire. Desire. Ill will. Ill will. Uh, regret, remorse, or restlessness and remorse. Right? Sloth and torpor. Well, they have it listed as. <laughs> 
um, desire, ill will, dullness and drowsiness, restless and excitement, and doubt. You have to argue with Venable Chogan. Doubt. And then Pali, in the Pali tradition, wisdom correctly understands its object. It combats ignorance and wrong views and analyzes conditioned phenomena to understand their nature. Wisdom also knows the three characteristics. It correctly understands the four truths and it penetrates nirvana. The power of wisdom cannot be harmed by wisdom, by ignorance. Okay, the next set is called Seven Awakening Factors. And they are called the seven correct things when they are transformed into the Arya's path. An Arya is someone who has realized the nature of reality directly. And they are called factors because they are causes for liberation. And what are they again? Mindfulness, Mindfulness discrimination, discrimination of phenomena, effort, effort rapture, pliancy, concentration, equanimity. equanimity. Okay, so the first one, mindfulness, enables the mind to retain the meditation object without forgetting it, which helps us to subdue the gross afflictions by developing concentration. So you'll notice that they're repeated throughout, which I said at the very beginning. These are the seven awakening factors. The next one is discrimination of phenomena. It's a form of wisdom. It's a wisdom that clearly knows what to practice and what to abandon. It understands selflessness with wisdom and thus destroys obscurations. The wisdom knowing what to practice and what to abandon is the wisdom knowing conventional truths. In other words, knowing how things function, how karma functions. It is also the wisdom that understands selflessness, which is the ultimate truth. This wisdom knows how things actually exist and that wisdom has the ability to overcome all defilements. It's the ultimate wisdom. So here the discrimination of phenomena is referring to both kinds of wisdom. When you have this discrimination and you investigate things with this discrimination, it boosts our effort because it helps us to understand things and that inspires us to have effort to practice that which we need to practice and what we need to abandon. And to abandon what we need to abandon. A little convoluted, but I got there. I said a little convoluted, but I got there. Okay, the next factor of awakening is effort again. This is a vigorous and determined attempt. That's what effort is. We need to put effort into not just gaining understandings and qualities, but also into stabilizing them. We can gain something, but if we don't put effort into maintaining it, it can decrease. 
Effort stabilizes renunciation, enabling us to attain awakening quickly. The effort here has to be joyous effort. It has to be enthusiastic. We know we're doing something good, going in a good direction, and we'll have a good result. That gives us a mind has a sense of enthusiasm and joy, which leads directly to the next awakening factor, which is rapture. Rapture is a state of supreme joy that floods through the whole body when you have attained the higher levels of single-pointed concentration in the jhanas. And we're not going over the jhanas. Some other time, maybe. It makes the mind continually happy, benefiting the body and the mind. However, sometimes rapture can be a little bit over the top. It's so energizing and joyful which leads directly to the next awakening factor, which is pliancy. One of these days I'll figure out exactly what this is. Pliancy removes all mental and physical discomfort and unserviceability, making the body and mind flexible, blissful, and capable of engaging in virtue. So right now, our body gets very uncomfortable or downright painful when we're trying to meditate. And our mind takes off on its own little wanderings, paths, just goes away. But when we have physical pliancy, the body is very comfortable. And with mental pliancy, the mind is very responsive. Whatever situation comes up, it's flexible. It can adapt. Pliancy takes that rapturous mind and makes it more stable and more tranquil. And that brings us to the next awakening factor, which is concentration. Concentration is where we abide single-pointedly on a chosen object of meditation enabling us to fulfill all of our wishes by developing the awakening qualities. To develop these qualities, we have to be able to keep our mind focused on what we are meditating on. Once concentration is firm, that brings equanimity, which is the next, which is the last, actually, of the awakening factors. The mind abides with a neutral feeling that is pleasant and is very satisfied. Equanimity enables us to adopt what is to be practiced and avoid what is to be abandoned. There it is again. The mental factor of equanimity is free from the false, impeding serenity and is the opposite of the unbalanced mind of afflictions. When there are afflictions in our mind, a mind is not equanimous. It's unbalanced. And we experience this on a daily basis. We get upset, attached to something, but equanimity brings balance to the mind. 
So are there any questions, comments, suggestions? No? Sounds like a good idea. Oh, yeah. I wish. Guess I have to work on it, get all that effort going. And then the last of the sets is the Noble Eightfold Path. So we already said that um, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. We're going to go over this really quickly. So right view. If we want to practice and not just learn, it means to have a correct, we need to have a correct view of karma and its effects and how it works. Having a correct understanding, of the, we have to have a correct understanding of the Buddhist worldview. We have to have the right view of conventional reality. And we need to put a lot of effort in order to understand right view and the Buddhist worldview. Especially if we were brought up in a different religion. Right intention. There are three aspects to right intention. Does anybody know what they are? Renunciation. Yes. Having an attitude of kindness. Kindness. And? And non-harmfulness. And compassion, yeah. The three aspects are renunciation, particularly to obsession and attachment to sense objects. We want to get rid of them, get rid of our attachment to them. Uh, having an attitude of kindness and benevolence, and we should have this, how we approach everything in the world. And non-harmfulness and compassion and kindness. We want to make it uh, integrated into our daily lives. We want to live by this, make it like our motto. If we can train our mind on these whole, whole experiences in life, our whole experience in life is going to change. No matter what anybody does, our experience of it will change, and our feelings about ourselves will change also. So those two are the higher training of wisdom. And when we use right view and right intention, we practice. It takes us directly to the higher training of ethical conduct. Ethical conduct is right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Right speech is abandoning lying, divisive speech, harsh words, and idle talk, which we went over last night. So you have to ask yourself, are you aware of what you're saying most of the time? Are you aware of the effects of your speech on other people? What we want to do is cultivate speech that is truthful, that brings people together and reconciles them. We want to use speech that is kind and is spoken at an appropriate time, in appropriate ways, and to appropriate people. That's right speech. Right action is abandoning the ten destructive actions. It's also doing the ten constructive actions, which we learn in Lama meditation. Most people don't engage in right actions. All you have to do is watch the news or read the news to figure that one out. 
and right livelihood, obtaining the things we need to stay alive in an honest way, earning a living in a responsible way, hopefully protecting the environment and other beings, not killing, not stealing, etc., etc., etc. And the last is the highest, higher concentration, of, higher training of concentration. That's right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Although, to be fair, right effort can go in all of them. So right effort puts some effort into our, we have to put effort into our Dharma practice. Not Just make it be a hobby, which I don't think anybody here does, but you never can tell. It's not being lazy. It's having joyous effort. Right mindfulness is being mindful of our precepts and ethical standards. It's being mindful of our objects of meditation. Seems to be a common theme going through here. It's being aware of our body and how we are moving through space. It's being aware of our actions and interactions and how they are affecting others. Being aware of what to practice and what to abandon. It's being aware so that we can be honest and kind people. And the last one is right concentration. It's the ability to stay single-pointedly on an object. It's having control of the mind and keeping it on a virtuous object. You can remain peaceful and tranquil. And then that comes full circle around again to the right view. Only now the right view is the understanding of the ultimate nature of phenomena, which is why it's the higher training of wisdom for the fundamental vehicle path. And because you have prepared your mind with the other eight topics, you're ready to examine the correct view of emptiness and develop the wisdom that understands it and later realizes emptiness. Now this is presupposing, of course, that you do right speech, right action, right livelihood, all of the time. You know, right effort, right mindfulness. You know, if you do it just a little surface, you ain't going to get to the uh, realization of emptiness. But if you practice the way they're talking about, with the seven awakening factors, the five powers and faculties, the five four strivings, then eventually it all leads to a mind of awakening, which is the ultimate goal. Now, I'm done. I'm not going to read anything else. <laughs> but I'm going to ask if you have any questions. Did an alarm go off? <laughs> nope. I don't want anybody to fall asleep. Practice them all the time. All 37. Do we practice all 37 every day, all the time? You practice to the best of your abilities. They work, they, they work upon each other. Um, you start out with the four establishments of mindfulness. You know, but what do you want me to say? You can use aspiration, effort, intention, and investigation to develop concentration to do the to do the four establishments of mindfulness
So we have, I mean, you use the five faculties and the five powers, faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom. You can use them anywhere. Pretty much kind of have to have faith, I guess, to be in the Buddhist path or in any path, spiritual path. And like I said, um, the Noble Eightfold Path, that's what you want to do daily, all the time anyways. Did that answer your question? I was trying to give you a hard time. You did. <laughs> Congratulations, you succeed. Next. <laughs> All done. Yes. You're welcome. So, can we dedicate? Due to this earth, may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha, that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious Bodhi mind not yet born arise and grow. May the born have no decline, but increase forevermore. In the snowy mountain pure land, you're the source of good and happiness. Powerful Tenzin Gyatso Chenrezi, may you stay until samsara ends. May the spiritual teachers who lead me on the sacred path, and all spiritual friends who practice it have long life. May I pacify completely all outer and inner hindrances. Grant such inspiration, I praise. May the lives of the venerable spiritual mentors be stable and their virtuous actions spread in the ten directions. May the light of Lobsang's teachings dispelling the darkness of the beings in the three worlds always increase. Omniscient King of the Shakyas, Motherly Tara, Supreme Bestower of Longevity and Wisdom, Vast ocean assembly of sources of refuge. Grant propitiousness here and now for a nectar of benefit and bliss to flow. With the clear mind and extensive learning gained from following the wondrous traditions of Tukton, the Able One's teachings, you bring clarity to masses of disciples with the light of children, the lamp of the Dharma. May your lotus feet remain unfaltering for a very long time. Through your dharmic deeds of hearing, thinking, meditating, and so on, Place those who seek the liberated path in harmony through immaculate discipline. Please lead all beings to liberation with undeclining excellent qualities of scripture and insight and establish them in the glory of eternal bliss. May the deeds of explaining and practicing the Dharma done by groups supporting the teachings and their upholders who spread the Dependent arising and non-violent 
directions, in the ten directions, and especially at Shravasi Abbey in the West, flourish. Good night.